Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Remain standing, and uh, we're going to get right into the Word. Some of the candidates who were here in the first service heard me preach already, but if you stay, you'll get to meet the congregation, but if you have to leave, I understand that. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to a very important passage of Scripture. It's found in 2 Chronicles. Would you turn there with me for a minute, please? And we're going to be looking together at just two verses, but they're very profound verses. You say, Pastor, just two verses? Yes, just two. That's all you need. It's 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 2. Would you turn there with me? And I don't know if they have it up on the screen. Do they have it on the screen? Aha, they do. So now you can read it out loud with me. Is that all right? Can you see it okay? Let's read together. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. Now everybody say this out loud with me. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Say it again. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp. It is a light. I thank you for this congregation who has gathered here. They could have been anywhere else, but they chose to be in your house to honor you and worship you. I pray, oh God, you would bless them. You would encourage them. You would strengthen them. Give them a word that would encourage them this day. I pray, O Lord, that you would give us revelation in how we should live. I pray for a special anointing upon me that I might preach your word with power. I pray for an anointing on all of us that we would hear. Our eyes would be open. Our hearts would be sensitive to you and your work. And so, Lord, when we leave today, may we leave knowing that we've heard from you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When our nation was founded, it was seen as a Christian nation based on the truth of God's Word, the Bible. You say, how do you know that? Well, 93% of the 55 delegates at the Constitutional Convention were members of Christian churches. And all were deeply influenced by a biblical view on mankind and government. In fact, many of our leaders, their quotes are very uh, inspiring when it comes to understanding what was the building blocks of our freedom. George Washington, our first president, said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. John Adams, our second president, said, Statesmen may plan and speculate, may plan and speculate liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. In a letter he wrote to Thomas Jefferson on June 28, 1813, John Adams wrote, "The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence." were the only principles in which the beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And what, they, what, what were these general principles? 
in answer the general principles of Christianity. Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, said the Bible is the rock. Everybody say rock on which our republic rests. Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president, said America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelation of Holy Scripture. I like what Calvin Coolidge said, our 30th president. He said, the strength of our own country is the strength of its religious convictions. The foundation of our society and our government rests not so much on the, rests so much, rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. That is a very telltaling word that Calvin Coolidge said. Harry S. Truman, our 33rd president, said, the fundamental basis of this nation was given to Moses on the mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights came from the teachings we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. If we don't have a fundamental moral background, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state. How true those words are. In fact, Harry Truman, when he was inaugurated as president and took the oath of office in 1949, placed his hand on the Bible, and the two verses that he placed his hand upon was Matthew 5, 3 through 11, and Exodus 20, 3 through 17. If you don't know what those passages are, the first one in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount, and the second one is the Ten Commandments. He understood clearly that freedoms are born because of laws coming to us from God. One of the most profound moments in our history, and you may not be aware of it, but much of our founding fathers yearned for God to be the center of our nation. And one of the most important moments took place when George Washington was inaugurated there in New York City. After his inauguration, he made a procession with the people that would be his cabinet and leaders, and they went to a chapel a short distance away from where he was inaugurated. And they spent three hours, in four hours, excuse me, in a prayer meeting, and their purpose was to make covenant between God and our nation. For those of you who may not be aware of it, when the Twin Towers fell, they fell and you would have thought that chapel would have been destroyed because it was right in the proximity of the Twin Towers. It was the only structure that was not damaged. Something happened there. A covenant was made which made the United States what it is. We pray that covenant will not be broken. In 1984, political scientist Donald Lutz and Charles Hinneman at the University of Houston wrote a paper regarding the research they had done to determine sources that most influence the development of American political thought during the nation's founding period. And that was um, 
that early period from 1760 to 1805. And over a 10-year period, they analyzed 15,000 items of American political commentary and letters from that period. Now, here's what they came up with. They researched, their research isolated 3,154 direct quotes made by the founders over this period of time and identified the source of those quotes. Are you aware that over a third of the quotations quoted by our founding fathers came from the Bible? In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says we ought to obey God rather than men. It's no coincidence that during the Revolutionary War, the watchman of the American Revolution would have a phrase, and here, was, here it was, no king but King Jesus. For most of the patriots, it was their faith that gave them the courage to stand on God's word and risk their lives, lives and properties to break the tyranny of an unjust human authority. Now the problem is we've moved far away from where we were as a nation. Truth does not prevail as it once did. We make up our own rules. We have what we call sociological law. And the problem with sociological law is that whatever may be in vogue now may not be in vogue in the future. You need something that's absolute. You need something that this is right and this is wrong because God said it. And that is where we need to be. You say, well, pastor, we've come so far away from that. One of the things you have to realize is one of the reasons why um, there has been a discussion concerning what kind of justice is to be on the Supreme Court. I favor originalists. You say, why do you favor that, Pastor? It's because they're attempting to interpret the Constitution in the original way it was written. And the reason why that's so important is in the original way it was written, it was written on the basis of laws that came from God. Once you change that, then you have no right and wrong. It's a very real issue, please. If you ever prayed for anything, pray for people that make decisions on our behalf in government, whether they be legislators or in the judiciary. Now that brings me then to this text. You say, what's the deal with Hezekiah? Why did you use that text for this day? Well, I want to give you a little background for a moment. Israel, you know, was made up of 12 tribes. The, the 12 sons of Jacob. They grew into a nation. And they were united by a king. Started out with King Saul and then King David. And then King Solomon, David's son. But King Solomon made a very bad decision. He married a thousand wives. How many know that was a real bad decision? You, it's hard to keep up with one wife, let alone a thousand. It takes everything I got to bless that woman on the front row. Hallelujah. Are you blessed, honey? All right, good. Thank you. I, I feel better. He made a big mistake. 
But his greatest mistake wasn't just marrying those wives. What he did is many of them were pagan wives, and he brought paganism into the nation. He built temples for their gods, and he worshipped at those temples. And God got so angry because he was breaking the covenant God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was agreed to at Mount Sinai with Moses, and what his forefather David had done in loving him, loving God with all his heart that he decided he would judge Israel. And so he spoke through the prophet that because of King David, Solomon wouldn't see it in his lifetime, but his son, Rehoboam, when he became king, the kingdom would be divided. And that's exactly what happened. Ten of the tribes of the north came under the rulership of a man by the name of Jeroboam, and the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were under the rule of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the son of David. And so the kingdom was divided into two parts, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The problem is that the northern kingdom immediately began to worship false gods. And it wasn't long before the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrian Empire. And the southern kingdom continued. The southern kingdom, however, had its problems as well. Just before Hezekiah came to power, his father, a man by the name of King Ahaz, had given Israel over to paganism, then turned from the God of his fathers. He'd offer sacrifices to the God of the Syrians. He, um, he shut the doors of the temple. He, he literally put pagan altars all over Jerusalem and throughout Judea, high places, and he burned sacrifices there. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And... <clears throat> When the Assyrians came in, they destroyed Israel, they destroyed Syria, and they were coming to destroy Judah. But something changed in Judah that changed everything. A new king came to power. He was the son of Ahaz. His name was Hezekiah. Everybody say Hezekiah. And the first thing he does is he reopens the temple and reestablishes the worship to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living God. And you begin to see that in that chapter that we read from, verse 3 and following. And he reestablishes the nation's covenant with God. They all made a commitment saying, God, you're going to be our God. And he leads the nation into a revival. You see it, it affected the entire nation. He celebrates Passover in Jerusalem. It was the greatest time Passover had been celebrated since the days of Solomon. And even when the Assyrians came, Judah is threatened by the Assyrians. But God speaks through a prophet and says, those you see out there you will not see again. And God intervened. One of his angels was released on the Assyrian army and one angel killed 185,000 soldiers. That was a pretty mean angel. And God rescued Judah because of Hezekiah. You say, well, Pastor, what is that to us today? We live in, we live in the year 2020 in America. What, what's, what, what's this all about? Well, I believe God is speaking to two groups of people today. Number one, I believe he's speaking to the candidates who have so graciously come. If God raises you up to serve us in government, keep in mind that religious freedom is our greatest inheritance. 
And it guards all the other freedoms we have. It, we have. Without it, there is no more freedoms. That First Amendment is not first by accident. It's first by priority. We must base our laws on truth, not on men's opinions. What does God say? Thirdly, we need to be leaders with personal integrity. The Bible calls it righteous or holiness. You have influence in your office. Use it for good. And fourthly, you need to be like King Hezekiah. He was in office, and what did he do? He saw his primary position was to protect his people. You say, well, how did he do that? Well, he did three things. Number one, he preserved natural resources. Natural resources were preserved. He had water that was right outside the city of Jerusalem. So what he did is he tugged a tunnel underground to tap that water so the enemy couldn't get it. That tunnel is still there today. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It was one of the wonders of the world. If you go with me to Israel, that's one of the things you can possibly see when you go there. I haven't gone into that tunnel because my body doesn't fit real well. But, and it still has a lot of water in it. And I decided, I think I'd rather wade in the River Jordan than in that. Amen. But secondly, he built towns for people. One of the great challenges all of us face here on Maui is there are people that have lost homes and it's very difficult to find a place. But thirdly, he made his military strong so his people would be able to be defended. But the final thing, and this is what I ask all of you candidates to do, he personally sought the Lord for wisdom. If you're sitting in an office and you think you have it all together because you're so brilliant, you're in trouble. Because we all need wisdom from above. And the Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. I pray for wisdom. I pray that I'll make right decisions on behalf of this great congregation. We're not one tiny little congregation on a little island anymore. We're in 16 nations and 16 states. We're all through these islands and over 30 congregations. We're on our way to being 500 congregations. Thousands and thousands of people are being affected by your prayers and your decisions and by my actions. And so I pray, God, give me wisdom. And every one of you candidates, if you have the privilege of serving this great community, please do not think you can do it on your own. Ask for his wisdom. But I believe that God is speaking to all of us today. You didn't come to this service today just to hear a nice message about what our founding fathers said. God is speaking to you. And I believe that what he's saying is let's believe and work for a great spiritual revival that will sweep not only Maui, but Hawaii and our nation. Somebody say amen. Did you know if you look at American history that at every juncture when it looked like everything was about to fall apart, 
there were people that gathered together to pray, and as a result of their praying, God sent a mighty revival that literally changed the entire course of history. A good case in point was the preaching of George Whitfield before the American Revolution. You have to understand something. Why didn't the American Revolution end up like the French Revolution? The French Revolution ended up with a reign of terror where thousands were beheaded. Why didn't that happen in America? You say, because we're nice people. No, we're falling like the French are falling. I'll tell you what happened. Before the American Revolution, there was a preacher by the name of George Whitfield. He came to America from England, and he preached throughout the, United, throughout the colonies. He had massive crowds of 25,000 or more without a microphone. And he didn't speak for 15 minutes because people wanted to go home. They traveled five or six hours just to get there to hear him preach. And he better not preach any shorter than two hours. Or they'd felt cheated. I mean, we're talking people. You, all you have to do is go to Boston. And there's a, whole, there's a whole thing you can see of the places he went and where he preached and where he died. It's an amazing thing. Our colonies were shaken by the power of God. Now, the reason why we didn't have the French Revolution and the reign of terror is because in the hearts of people, they were transformed by the Word of God. So they didn't decide to just destroy all their enemies. They began to realize God had raised them up, and even when they won that war, they acted very differently. And even when George Washington, do you know when he became president? There were those who said, why don't you crown yourself king? Are you aware that that was going on, that was happening? He said, no, I'm not. We're not going to do that. And he stood on biblical truth that was founded in that constitution, and we have a constitutional government today because of it. Are you hearing me, friends? You say, well... You mean a revival could change the hearts of people? A government rises or falls on what happens in the human heart. Are you hearing me? So let's pray for a mighty revival. It can happen again. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's pray for local churches that they would be strong. And not only this church, but every church on Maui would be strong. Secondly, when you elect people, elect people that hold your values. Sit down, talk story with them. What do they believe? What do they want to do? If they endorse what you feel like is, is biblical, then say, Amen, I'll help you. Commit yourself to the great commission that our Lord gave to all of us to make disciples of all nations. And pray for our leaders. Don't just pray for the people that are in your party. Pray for all leaders. You know, I, I had an interesting experience. A good friend of mine, this was a number of years ago, I have the great honor of sitting on the world's largest church in the world. It's a church of over a million people. I'm on the board of one of their organizations called Church Growth. And uh, some of the leading pastors from all over the world attend. And 
we make decisions, and I've traveled with uh, the pastor. He's retired now. His name is Dr. Cho Yonggi, great man of God. And one of the members on the board was the um, foreign minister for a Latin American country. And what was very interesting, he's, he had a relationship with our Secretary of State at that time, who happened to be Hillary Clinton. And uh, they got together, and, they, and, and he prayed for her and, you know, ministered to her, and she would call him on the phone on occasion. And I thought, you know, sometimes people don't even realize that there are people that are in office that need desperately someone to pray for them. And so oftentimes we only pray for the people we like. Now, of course, you don't do that. How about praying for people that make decisions on our behalf and to pray God will give them wisdom? Don't you think God can do that? I believe he can. It's an interesting thing. I, I sat there as we talked, and he was, uh, he was a pastor, but he was a pastor of a very large church in a Latin American country and happened to be the Secretary of State, if you would, for that nation. He ran for president, and he ended up becoming the Secretary of State. And... Um, I thought, you know what, Lord, help me to be a person who will pray for our leaders, even if I don't seem to think that what they're doing is correct. Because God is the God who can help all of our leaders if we but pray. And finally, we need to live righteously ourselves. And there's a question I want to ask. And it's an interesting question, but it's a question only you can answer. Are there any Hezekiahs in the house? I hope you raised both hands. <laughs> Are there the Daniels? Are there the Nehemiahs? Are there the Esthers? People of influence that love God with all their heart and begin to affect the nation because of who they are and they're living righteously. That's important. There are two things that are very, very important when it comes to government leaders. One is what they believe or their policies or their values. And one is character. Both of them are important. Some have tremendous policies. Their character isn't very good. Some have good character, but their policies are horrible. Let's pray for both. Somebody say amen. There's a verse of scripture that I believe is our verse for today. It's found in Hebrews 13, 18. It's the writer of Hebrews who is writing to those who are receiving his letter, and he says, pray for us. We are sure that we have, that we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. It is my desire that you pray that way for me. It is my desire you pray that for yourself. It's my desire you pray that for your family. And those of you that will be in office or you serve somebody who is in office, you pray that those who lead us will be the same way. God wants to do mighty, mighty things. May he do it through us. Would you stand here? I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.